0: Forbes Riley.
1: Hey, everybody, it is Forbes Riley, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the Forbes Factor. You know, we do this every week. I love being here with you guys. And I'll tell you what, um, for us, if you're listening live, it's going to be the holiday season. And for me, that is a lot about reflection, year end, uh, wrapping everything up, and setting new goals, which is ironic, you know, because the fact that it's a new year. It's all, we made this up, you know, the years. And so the pressure that we put on ourselves to finish our taxes and to have these holidays, it's all made up, but of course we deal with it. As a mom, my twins just turned 21 years old. I did a good job. The little kids are flying out of the nest somewhere. My son is in college. My daughter runs a company. Uh, Tomorrow I head off to New York to see my son and hang out in New York City where I'm from. It is a weird feeling. You know, I, I was watching Valerie Bertinelli the other day on a, on a on an Instagram. Now, just that sentence alone. Can you imagine when she first came out and we were both kids on an Instagram? I was watching Valerie. And she was talking about being 63 years old. And she said something that echoed in my heart and my head. It's like, you know, I spent a lot more years younger than I am now. A lot more years being younger than I am old. And I thought, that's interesting. And she then, it was everything was in my head because in my head, I feel like I'm 22 years old. But every time when I get out of bed, you're like, okay, that's not a 22-year-old's knee or her back or, hmm, what's going on here? Or when older people sit around and talk about going to the doctors. And it's just fascinating because most of my life I didn't have children. I was 42 when I had them. For about 10, 12 years there, man, Christmas was the holiday. I shopped and cooked and played and dressed up and... And then they got to a certain age where they made fun of me for doing that. That's what teenagers will do to you. And then they were like things like, I don't really believe in that red. I'm like, oh, you know, you don't believe you don't receive. And now they're both going to be in Belize scuba diving during the holidays. And me and my husband are like, huh, we don't have to do anything. We can sit in bed and watch Netflix if we wanted to all day long. So it's just kind of funny how you evolve. Well, my special guest today is a gentleman who... Uh, I've known for a while. He is the master CEO. He is a just he's a dear soul. I admire this man so much. You've got a lot to learn from him. Please welcome to the stage, Mr. Dean Akers. Hello. Hello, my friend. How are you?
0: Thank you, Forbes. You uh, I appreciate the introduction. It's it is funny about the empty nest and all that. I all five of my sons, my oldest is 40 and my youngest is 28. And by the way, he lives in New York City. And I listened to your intro. I was laughing to myself because my sons that have kids now, they'll call me up and they'll go, and they just have two each. And they'll call me up and they'll go, dad, you won't believe blah, 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 blah. And I go, shut up. We have five.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, it's fascinating. The the stages that you go
0: through in life, right? Oh, totally.
1: Is there a stage that you miss more than others?
0: No, because uh, about 30 years ago, I, came up with a strategy to make my life awesome and it's and it's very simple i make each day special i don't worry about the past as a matter of fact i don't have the graphic it's over on my desk but i give people rear view mirrors and tell them to knock them off and forget your past and i make today awesome and here's my theory if i make today awesome and i help somebody every day for no pay that's one of my missions too if i make today awesome when i fall asleep tonight If I don't die in my sleep, tomorrow I'll wake up and get, guess what I had yesterday, Forbes? What? An awesome day. An awesome day. (laughs) For 30 years, for 30 years now, I've had awesome days one day at a time. And I can tell you I've had an awesome life, but I don't worry about the future too much. I mean, if I'm going on an airline, I buy a ticket or something. And I, and I damn sure don't worry about my past at all.
1: That makes you probably the healthiest, happiest man. You know, the fun thing about I love about you is that we've known each other for a while, but I, every once in a while, I get these amazing cards from you. I'm like, when handwritten notes, snail mail, do you know yeah. that that continues to delight me in a way that I don't even can't even express to you? And so, thank you for doing that.
0: Forbes, you know, I really appreciate you, you saying that because I write 50 to 100 a week. And I do them out of a genuine thing. And somebody goes, how do you do it? And this is my favorite question to ask people. Do you brush your teeth? Do you?
1: Almost every day.
0: (laughs) Yeah. The reason I ask that is people look at me like, oh, you're crazy. What do you mean? Of course I brush my teeth. I said, when I was in my early 20s, I made that a habit, just like brushing my teeth. So I wouldn't even know what to do. And what's funny is is I've had, I've sent notes out. I sent a note to one guy, and he says, you've never forgot my birthday. In three years, he calls me up. He goes, what are you doing next week? I go, what do I need to do? This was three or four years ago before COVID. And I go, what do I need to do? He says, you need to meet me at Tampa Jetport and plan to take 10 days. We got on his jet. We went to Guatemala City, where a helicopter picked us up. We went out to the Pacific Coast, and we went fly fishing for Marlin. And then we went to a private island in Roatan and just... Fished and scuba dived and everything. We got home. Guess how much money I spent? Zero. No, actually, I spent fifty-five cents for the postage for the birthday card. (laughs) 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 I love it. And that had to be a that had to be a ten or fifteen thousand per person trip, maybe more on a jet. You know, our own jet and own helicopter. So, if you think I'm OCD about it, it's funny you're calling, but right here. Yeah. Right there, you can see it in my thing. That's and right here is my stupid Christmas card, and all is a photograph. And I'll send 200 of them out, and all I want somebody to do is when they open it, they just smile. If they smile for themselves, that is
1: what you know, that is what I do. And I get, the, I'm like, oh my god, this guy remembers and thinks about me, and it's like, I think one of the most precious things ever. I love the fact that you do it's like wild.
0: Well, you're a special person in my life, we met a number of years ago, and And uh, we've been on these journeys, you know, different journeys, but we keep in touch. And, man, I just can't believe your kids are 20 now.
1: (laughs) Right? Oh, I know. Well, what's interesting to believe is the way they've evolved. And now because of this, you know, I write books and I teach a lot of trainings. I have over 21,000 students since COVID started. Um, But I'm going to do a parenting book because... I was very intentional at 42, is when I had my children, and I'd already had a lot of theories about life and what should and shouldn't do. And so I raised my children with a lot of things that you've never heard of before. I used to train dogs. I had a dog game show on television. I did dog training for ESPN as one of my many side hustles. And I trained them like dogs. I'm actually in the book Chicken Soup for the Soul. I have a chapter, and they made me they made me rewrite the title, How to Train Your Babies Like Puppies, because it's, you don't really train your dog your kids like dogs. We're not tying them to a leash. But the reward system, the repetition, the understanding of, of just psychology. I said this to somebody yesterday. I said, you know, I never disciplined my kids. Oh, I, I'm sorry. Cancel, cancel. I never punished my kids. And the reason I didn't punish them is I said, because I don't want to be the bad guy. I made them punish themselves. Oh. I'm like, look, you did something bad. I don't want to spank you. I don't want to take your phone. I don't, that's not my, I'm the, I'm the good guy here. You screwed up. So now I'm going to ask you, what's the punishment for screwing up? And I'm the, from the time they were little, it's like, okay, mom, I guess I get to give you my cell phone for the weekend. I'm like, happily, I'll take that. Or I guess I don't get to do this or have to eat my peas. My son yesterday called, he said, mom, I got to tell you something you did really right. I'm like, okay. He said, yeah, he said, remember when you like, you never punished us. Like it was weird, you know, because all the other kids had parents punish them. But I'm watching my friends in college and they're like running rampant. I like know what to do and what not to do and what the consequences are. And I thought, cha-ching, that worked so well.
0: Well, and the other thing Forbes said I laughed about, I was having a lunch about a month or a couple of months ago with a bunch of CEOs. And I'm not going to tell you who they are because they're CEOs of some billion dollar companies. And we're having lunch. And they're in my age, late 60s, early 70s. And this, I love the new generation, by the way. I think they're going to be crazy cool and good. And I help work with a lot of young people. But you're going to laugh. They're sitting around this table. There's about 10 of us. And they're going, oh, these young guys, these young people are woke and blah, 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 blah. And I looked at them, I go, y'all need to shut the F up. (laughs) And they looked at me and they go, what are you talking about? I said, you forgot. I grew up with all you guys. When we were 20, and I'm not proud of this, okay, So, and and the and now it's the statute of limitations or something I'm sure has passed, but when we grew up, we were 20. If they had had fentanyl when we were 20, everybody at that table would have been dead because Be we're all holier than now. now. We had hair. I had hair down to here. This is Vietnam era, Right. I mean, and these guys are all the same as me, but they're all pontificating. And it was like a wake-up call for them. They go, yeah. I said, invest invest in the youth. But like you said, Forbes, get them to be accountable because they want to be accountable. Right. And, uh, can I tell you one funny story about my yeah. kids? My five kids tell me, my wife, She go, when they were young, they go, they're not picking up the toys and stuff. <laughs> and they were all anxious about that. And I said, babe, you're trying to force them to do it. Let me handle it. So I went in and I go, guys is picking the toys up a pain? And they go, yeah. I said, why don't I do it for you? And they're all sitting on the couch. They go, well, okay, dad. So I start picking up the toys and putting them in this big um, uh, laundry bag I had. And they go, what are you doing? I said, well, this is my way of doing it. It's my Sunday bag. And they go, what's a Sunday bag, dad? Well, I'm putting, picking up so we have a clean house and then I'm going to put it in the attic. And then next Sunday, I'll pull it down and just dump them out. And any ones you don't want to set back up on the shelves and do right, I'll pick them back up. No stress on you guys. They went crazy because I took all their good boys and put them away for a week. Do you think I ever asked had to help my kids pick up again? So that's a great way to do it. Uh. And, you know, for me, I did
1: something similar. I created the I Want Game. You tell me what you want, right? So, and every day, I, I wish kids would do this with their parents. Every day, your kid asks for something. What, what do you want? I want a cookie. And I had two of them. They were twins. So it was kind of cute for me. And I would say, I would do this 10 routine, literally 10 steps. You want a cookie? Uh-huh. Great. If you want a cookie, wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. And they would wiggle. And I thought that was adorable. If you want, you, as a kid, you have to learn things. If you want a cookie, touch your nose. If you want a cookie, wiggle your ears. If you want a cookie, rub elbows. But I would always end it the last three commands. And this is how you train dogs. I said, if you want a cookie, give each other a hug and say, I love you. If you want a cookie, turn to me and say, Mommy, I love you. And then you got whatever it is you wanted. So this is a bit of a process. So you knew that if you wanted something, you had to go through the gauntlet to get it. That's awesome. Right. And it worked. And well, here's the funny thing about that. Years late, a couple of years ago, my daughter calls me on the phone and we're talking and I hung up. She calls me back and she is mad. She's like, I'm like, what's going on? She's like, mom, you didn't say I love you when you went to hang up the phone. That's a trained animal. That's, uh, that's training. I'm sorry. But she and her brother, her twin brother are close. Be- my, see, my mom um, was an only child and she wanted me and my sister to be her friends. So we never became friendly. That didn't work for me. So I stepped out and let my, made my kids become friends. I know, I'd know i be curious to see how close your kids are. But my kids have been traveling ever since they could. Last year, they went to Greece and Portugal together. Uh, a couple of days from now, they're heading off. They're like 19, 20-year-old boy-girl twins. They're heading off to go scuba diving in Belize and then hang out in Guatemala. Hello.
0: So do your kids all get along? Oh, my five sons, I have five boys. And they're they're, I mean, they're the best. They're all five best friends. And we have we actually had um, our first three, and I would never I, I was done. My wife, I told her to get fixed, you know, tubes tight. How'd that work out it, for you? Well, here's what she said to me. She looked at me this we were in the hospital, the third was just born. I said, Babe, why don't you just get your tubes tied? And she goes, Dean, you need to get a vasectomy. You haven't done anything but for about 30 seconds three times.
1: Oh, ooh, she is so right. Oh, yeah, and then... Wait, then wait, wait, I, 30, 30 seconds can't be right.
0: Well, I know, I was bragging. <laughs> I was bragging. I was bragging. But, but at any rate, then she, she goes, and we had a ranch back in the day. We had a 20,000 acre ranch with 20-something hundred head of cattle, and when a bull was born, we'd cut it, you know, to make it a cattle. And I was always, I would tell her, babe, I can't get a bad i me, I'll turn into a steer, just walk around, and I care. And I was pretty aggressive back then, you know, with business. And, and so about eight years went on and I learned another fact. The diaphragm does not work in a bathroom drawer that I can attest to. Bam, bam. I had two more kids, eight year gap. And, uh, and after the fifth one, you could have cut my head off. I went straight to the vascular surgeon or whatever it was. And I said, you, I don't even care what it takes. I can't go down. And now My second or they're all five brothers. They all look alike and they're all very close. But how blessed was I to have those two? Because they're like my second family best friend, even though the five of them are best friends.
1: Yeah. You know, it's a funny thing as you get older and you cannot go back and change any of this. My mother had two girls and she would always say as we got older, I wish I had four. I wish I had two more. And at some point it's like, mom, do you like the ones you have? Can you not say that? Right. Like now that I'm a certain age, I know what she meant because I wish that I had three more because one is the personalities are really fun. And I didn't think about it. I had two because I'd had two, you know. Uh, and then my daughter said to me one day, she's like, mom, because she works with me. She's like, did you have kids just to have us work for you? I'm like, oh, don't, don't I wish it worked like that? I would have had an army.
0: <laughs> you know, it's you, you know, you know funny about your kids too. And this this will happen. Is, and my father-in-law told me this, and it became true for me, is um, your kids, no matter what they say, will probably get married to somebody and probably have a child. Your daughter will and your son will, probably. I'm and sure. then, then you get to have the most fun, mm. which is grandkids. And my father-in-law told me years ago, he looked at me one day and I had all these kids and he, and he looked at me and goes, Son, one day you'll have grandkids. I said, I don't know. I, but he was all stressed out. And he goes, you know why I love grandkids? You can give them back. No, you can give them back. But you can spoil them and stuff. And, you know, they're not your kids. And, and it's just, you know, it, the, the point was he you can spoil them. You're right. And he's right. Grandkids are epic. And I've got four of them now. And they think that I hung the moon. I'll take them and do stupid stuff. You
1: know? <laughs> oh, you know, it's it's interesting because I'm a bit older mom. I'm I'm excited and not so excited to have grandkids just yet because my kids are both so young. Uh and I'm excited for them to live their lives. All right. One of the reasons I had Dean on the show, you guys, I have a lot of entrepreneurs who listen to this. You're a very successful businessman. What's something you credit your success
0: to? Um being a two-year-old child. Okay, elaborate. So and I teach all my teams this, this so is how hyper-grown companies in the sales side, is when you know who a potential customer is, and it, picture a two-year-old child. If they want a cookie, do they come up to you and go, Mom, I want a cookie, and you go, no. And do they go sit down and never ask you again? Oh, no. They bug you to when?
1: Uh, till you get in the cookie.
0: Exactly. So I teach all my teams, it's not if, but When? And we go target accounts. And we and my favorite thing with CEOs, they'll tell me how competitive their business is. I can prove and never lost the bet y- yet with any CEO that price, competition, in the economy do not impact your business. And they all sit there and go, oh, you don't know. And I, I prove it with just math, their math. And when I do it, I have three circles. And this is what I developed when I was a 20-something-year-old man put in a territory that had failed and i was put the i was the fourth guy to go in this territory and three previous people had failed and this is in the 70s and i was selling construction equipment and we were we were competing against caterpillar john deere and international and we were not even a top three brand our office was a hundred miles away from the territory and the three brands had offices in the territory And, oh, let's just throw one more bad thing in there. This was 1975. My average customer was a 50-year-old. Guess what he was doing when he was 20 years old? In In the World War II. Yeah, okay. And we were the first importers of Japanese bulldozers.
1: I'm going to give you a lot of credit for even accepting this territory. I'm
0: like, this is one of those impossible problems. Well, I didn't, I didn't accept it. I just got put up there. I was a trainee out of the University of Florida and my my boss, when Britt quit, he goes, he calls me out, he goes, Britt quit. Now you got to go there. And I, I got a death march. So that's when I developed this strategy to lose sales, to lose sales. All I wanted to do was lose sales. And the theory behind it, which is now has allowed me to grow companies to hundreds of millions of dollars in valuations is i went in without price competition or the market mattering i just wanted the customer to literally do this but let me quote the deal and then tell me i'm not buying from you i'm not buying any japanese stuff but he let me quote well i built the relationship and by the way if you have a relationship good enough to let them let you quote they like you well my biggest potential customer was i A statewide company, the largest mining company in Florida. And I finally got into the guy after almost 12 months of calling on him all the time. And I got a process for that. He finally saw me. He looks at me and goes, son, I'm never buying anything from you. The owner of our company, he knew. He goes, I don't like him. I've never liked him. Y'all been in business 35. I've never liked him. And oh, by the way, I flew B-25s in World War II. And I'm never buying Japanese products. And I said, Well, Mr. Greg, that was his name. I said, I just wanted to introduce myself. I wanted to learn how you did something. And I had researched him this pre internet. I mean, nowadays it's easy. And the guy looks at me and we start talking. And I go, Mr. Greg, I got to get out of here. He goes, Let's have breakfast next week. So he bought me breakfast, a 22, 23 year old kid breakfast. He became my largest customer. I got to run the company in the 80s recession. And I grew it from $50 million to $100 million in two years doing the same process in the recession of the 80s. And what I, Mr. Gregg became my largest customer. When I bought my first company at age 30, this is priceless. He calls me because I'm getting ready to announce. I just announced to the company I'm leaving. And I bought a local tire company in Tampa. And my phone rings. I'm driving back from Lakeland. And it's Mr. Gregg. And he goes, Dean, this is Mr. Brown. And I say, hey, Mr. Gregg. He said, I heard you left Scott's company. Mr. Greg, I was going to call you today. He goes, why? Or, or, or I to let you know I was going. He goes, what are you going to do? I said, well, I want to have my own company. So I bought a local tire company in Tampa, just one location. He goes, ah, oh, damn it. I go, what? He goes, no, I about to buy all my tires from you. I said, Mr. Greg, I can't sell you tires. He goes, what do you mean you can't sell me tires? I said, you have mines all over the state of Florida. I have one location in Tampa. He goes, well, give me an hour and call Joe. Joe was his right hand that ran all his operations across the state of Florida. He's the largest mining company in Florida. And he and he says, I'll run Joe down, then you run him down. We're going to build you a facility in all our mines, and you just take care of all of our mines, and we'll just buy all our tires from you. He never asked me price. And, oh, by the way, he made me the largest earth-moving tire sales company in the state of Florida in one phone call. And oh, by the way, I sold Yokohama tires, Japanese tires. (laughs) At any rate, the guy, you know, and that's the way it it happened. And I did that with every customer I ever got was that same love that they would have. And, And price, competition in the market never mattered.
1: That's an amazing story. So my question now is to how to translate that to the entrepreneur, what do you tell them to do? I mean, I hear it. I kind of get it. And now I'm thinking about how do you implement
0: that? It's, it's really simple. You take three, sale, three circles, you draw three circles on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. The first circle, you put your existing sales, whatever they are. Mm-hmm. could be 10 million, could be 1 million, could be 100 million. Then you put down how many sales you lost in the first circle right under it. So let's just use a number. Let's use, I'll use a company I just turned around in the last recession. They had gone from 50 million, the biggest year they ever had, to 37 million. So I, the CEO was a buddy of mine and he called me and he was bitching about the economy and everything. I said, you're the problem. You guys are, and so we did the three circles. So 37 million, I called their statewide team together because I became the CEO. I called the statewide team together and I said, You guys lose a lot of sales. Now they're all cocky. Oh, I closed eighty percent and everything. I said, let's assume you lost half again. The thirty-seven, thirty-seven is a total of seventy-four million. Then I was able to get the total gross sales by all of our competitors and everybody through insurance companies. What the total gross market was, and in the recession, was three hundred fifty million. Now we were a big player, so three hundred fifty million minus seventy-four million. Is 286 million in circle two. So circle three is 350, circle two is the 674, and then circle two is nothing more than the math between circle three and one. So I bring the deal everybody together and I show them the math, and they're all looking at me like, What? I said, We lost 286 million dollars, guys, in a recession for one reason. Guess what the reason was, Forbes? I don't know. You weren't getting enough nose. No, we didn't even know about it. They bought from our competitors. They didn't even buy because of our price, because of our quality, because of our service. They didn't even, we weren't even on the deal. So I raised all the prices 25%. Now, could you picture these 20 salespeople? And this is an industrial type sale. So these are kind of, I'm a redneck, but you know, these are all like the kind of guys. I raised the prices 25%. Now, can you picture me having a room full of sales? No, guys? they probably look like you got two heads going, we can't sell what
1: we've got. Now you're going to make it more expensive. Well, I know what they're thinking.
0: Yeah. So guess what I did? This is my hobby. It's screwing with salespeople, beating them over the head with their own sales, with their own stick. And I've been doing it for so long now, it's just a hobby. So they looked at me and I go, but you're going to love the new deal. They go, what's the deal? I'm going to pay you 100% of your commission. For every sale you lose. So if you lose the sale now at a higher price, I'm going to pay you commission as though you got the sale. So now you make more money than ever.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: Guess what I know? Double. They're not good enough to lose them. When I got them on the sale in order to get paid, they had to bring a card from the CEO or the purchasing director. And all it had to say on the back was I bought somewhere else and sign it. Well, if they had a good enough relationship to get a business card from the person to get it signed, they always got the sale. That year, we went from 37 million to 62 million, 12 million more than the 35-year historical biggest year. The next year, 83 million, and the next year, over 100 million, and I the again.
1: Wow, I, I don't even know how what to. I've never heard those philosophies ever.
0: No, nobody has. But when I go into companies with ideal image, look at what I did with ideal image. I doubled our rate. You know, we grew from one location for seven years. We grew to 67 locations in five years, six years. And we had a huge exit. And I taught my team. I taught my team about engagement and about losing sales. And price never matters.
1: I know. I I got a whole bunch of people watching you on on Facebook right now. We're all kind of going, wow. I mean, I've got a pretty, uh, Laura is a pretty big uh, Laura Lee is uh, very big in the money business. They're going, really? I've never even imagined this kind of a conversation.
0: Oh, for when I meet with companies, especially B2B, that's B2C different, but it's still about the same. When I meet B2B, when I meet B2B and I say, do your three circles and we do the stuff. All I do is get their sales teams to go lose sales. It freaks salespeople out.
1: I I can imagine. I mean, I absolutely can imagine this. I've never heard this concept before, and I'm loving it.
0: Oh, I've had real estate agents. I've had real estate agents make over a million bucks a year when they used to make 80. Because all I teach them is, is, this is interesting math for real estate. You hear real estate people talk about how tough it is. right? How often does the average person sell and move? Uh, Once every five years. Exactly. So when you sell somebody a house when they're thirty, by the time they're sixty, how many houses will they have had? Or how many transactions? Six
1: mouth on that. Six.
0: There you go. Six. You'll have half the transaction on the first one and half the transaction on the last one. But every other transaction with that person, if they're your customer and truly relationships with them, you're gonna get both sides of the transaction. You do the value of that customer, the lifetime value. The real estate people go, oh my god! I said, so how are you keeping connected with the real estate people? There you I'm, go. So go back to I, yeah. You go back to your cards. Yeah, I send these out. That's how I. I took a trip to Guatemala. That's how I had a guy call me a couple of weeks ago, going, "Wow, you've never forgot this." He goes, "Can we have dinner?" He took me to Fleming's the other night. Bought three bottles of wine between two of us, which I fortunately was Uber in it. But these bottles of wine were not your, can you bring, bring the house brand? You know, no, the these were the
1: top was, shelf guests.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. The dinner had to be over a grand for the, for the two of us. And it all came off a note.
1: <laughs> wow. That 55 cent stamp is really paying off for you. Oh By the way, God. how do you feel about the fact that your postage has just gone up from like a nickel to 55 in your lifetime?
0: I don't care. And <laughs> I tell you a funny story. You'll love this. And my sons quote this back to me all the time, and a lot of my ninjas do, is we talk about price and everything. And w- when I was a young salesman at that company, this guy Joe was our top salesman, Drove a big Fleetwood Cadillac, big Fleetwood Cadillac. And uh, gas hit a dollar a gallon. This is like 1974 or five. And everybody, we're the salesman, all young guys, and we're all freaking out. Gas dollar a gallon now. And it would have been like 40 cents, you know, and everybody's freaking out. So we looked at Joe and we said, Joe, Joe, he had that big Fleetwood Cadillac. Joe, what are you going to do when now the gas is a dollar a gallon? And he had, he was old 50 something year old guy, had his glasses on, looked at us young guys, he goes, I'm going to tell her to fill it up. What do you think I'm going to do? Get rid of my Cadillac? (laughs) And he was right. Figure out how to go make more money. If you're in sales, and you're worried about the economy, you're the problem. Buy a mirror, because you're the problem. And all my sales ninjas, I got ninjas. I got guys. I just had one in my office a few minutes ago. I got young guys under 30 that make over a million bucks a year, and all they do is follow the process.
1: You mentioned that you had some sort of phone call process. Was it a phone call or writing letters, or what was the part of the process, the follow-up, something that you do?
0: Oh, I, I do uh, touches and ticks. So when I have a potential customer, I take what the hypothetical value is, and then we do touches. We either do, like one of my guys, he he, uh, he had a customer in New York City. And I said, well, go meet the CEO. He goes, I don't have an appointment. I said, get on a jet, fly up there, because we knew the customer was worth hundreds of thousands to him. And I said, I want you to go cold calling without an appointment. And so he goes up there, the guys won't see him, he writes him a handwritten note on the back of his car, gives it to the guard at the big building in New York, does his follow-ups, his notes and everything, because he knows what the customer's worth to him ultimately. Finally, the customer calls him and says, I don't know who you are, this is the CEO of a big national company. He goes, but I want to meet you. He said, can you meet me at 7 p.m. in Miami for uh, on Sunday night? in two weeks. He goes, yeah. So my young guy goes down there, gets to the gate and opens a 250-foot yacht this guy had. He gets on the yacht and sits in the salon with the, the older guy. He's CEO of this big national company and he goes, son, I don't know, but I like." He goes, we have to figure it out. Picks his phone up in the salon of this 200 foot yacht, calls his chief operating officer on Sunday night in New York City, and says, I got this young man, blah, 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 and I want you to call him tomorrow and give him a purchase order to put his products in all our locations around the country. Wow. Yeah, That's a mic drop moment. Then he invited him back to his son's bar mitzvah six, eight weeks later. So he goes back to Miami on the big yacht and stuff, and he he goes, wow, thank you for inviting me to your son's bar mitzvah. I'm so happy. He goes, I didn't invite you to my son's bar mitzvah for the bar mitzvah. He goes, why'd you invite me? He goes, see those five guys standing over there? He goes, yeah, those are all billionaires. I'm going to introduce you to. <laughs> <laughs> you can't make that up. That's priceless. It's absolutely priceless. I love yeah. this. We, here's the thing about being a ninja salesperson with this philosophy. All my sales teams around the country I help and young people I help, we all have a blast. We have fun. It's not, it, it's not even work. It's like goofing. And we have so much fun because we all know it's not if we're going to get the business, it's when. And the longest I budget, I budget two years. And I had a CEO one time go, you budget two years to get an account? I go, yeah. He goes, that's a long time to get an account. I said, you've been in business 20 freaking years and you don't have them. Shut up. Oh,
1: I'm loving the energy and the philosophy. Oh my gosh. All right. Let's switch gears for a second. Cause the business yeah, is No, no, no. I'm loving it. I almost want, I mean, I I'm, I'm tempted to say come to my mastermind and teach this because I've always known your energy and we've certainly consulted with you about being a CEO. My daughter now is CEO of our company, by the way, That's and she's grown, it, she's grown it from zero to 4 million in three years. Got to tell you, as a, a seventeen-year-old starting a company, that's quite a growth cycle. Who's not going to college because she's like, I don't need to. I, all the education I got, she's been in business since she was twelve, and she's like, I got it, mom. In fact, I get all these interns who don't know what I know, and they're college seniors graduating in marketing. I'm like, I know, I know what college institutional education is. Um, I also know that my son, when he applied for college, didn't get in the first time because of COVID, and he just top of his class, but just didn't file it right. And when he finally went up and he transferred into Babson, he called me and said, Mom, you teaching me how to pitch is what pushed this over the edge. And so just the way you teach your sales, your sales is very different than my pitching, but I can see how the two could meld beautifully. Do you have a course in what you do at all? Huh? Do you have a course on the I had
0: had one, and I I still should stand up an automated course. I did podcasts for years. I've had... Millions of downloads and stuff. I I'm not doing my podcast right now. My podcasts are rants. You know, they're more rants than. And, but but uh, you'll love this about your daughter and my. I give you how my two sons, my uh, second sons. You know, my older, my younger ones. They went. All of them were paid full paid for college, so they're going to college. And I go down and they said, Dad, we have to have dinner. So I go to call, meet them. One's a freshman, one's a sophomore, and they go. Dad, we're dropping out of college. I go, what? You have to have a college. And they go, look at our three brothers. You taught us to follow our passion, and that is a message that I do with my special ops people. Is I teach people how to really monetize their passions. At any rate, he said, you taught my your bro my brothers how to follow their passion, and they're all mega successful doing what they love. And when you follow your passion, you never work another day in your life. I said, but you still need to college. And then they laid the most profound freaking thing on me. It was like, they punched me. I go, you still have to have it. And they go, dad, we can learn anything we want on YouTube. And they're right. (laughs) Ah.
1: So my daughter said, she's like, give me five minutes in a cell phone and I'll give you an answer to any question you'll ever have.
0: (laughs) So do they both drop out? Oh, yeah, they dropped out of college, and they both are mega successful right now. My son in New York, you know, he writes his handwritten notes and all that. He's a big-time model and everything. He's the raffler. He's done all this cool stuff. And the funniest thing, writing his handwritten notes, COVID was his best year because when COVID hit, all the product specialists didn't want to do castings, and he didn't do typical castings. Because when he would do a casting call, there would be all these young guys there back when he first started. When he'd walk out, I got him his note cards and everything. He'd write a note to the casting director saying, "Thank you for letting me be a part of it." Dean, his name's Rudy. Rudy. He would send them out. Guess how many of those guys applying for that model position ever sent a handwritten note? None, I know that exactly. He got. He kept sending them to CEO Wilhelmina, which was the agency he was at. Yep. The CEO called him one day. He goes, I need to buy you breakfast. So he has now. He has a personal one-on-one relationship with the CEO of the largest agency on the planet.
1: I know. I'm going to say, you know, it's funny because I really do smile every time I open one of your notes <clears throat> and I'm thinking, man, cause you stay top of mind. That's such a great concept. By the way, if he's that handsome and he's your son and he's successful, and he dropped out of college, he might want to meet McKenna.
0: Well, he, he, well, my, my, my number four son is bad medicine. I call, he's, he's, I've I've had women say, can I meet, can he meet my daughter? I said, no, his definition of long-term relationships, breakfast. He's bad medicine.
1: Oh, I love that. All right. He's
0: a six foot four stud. My number five son has been with his same significant other. She's a social influencer, making a lot of money. She's been on Instagram. She's, she headlined at Coachella. I mean, she's, and she's, I, I mean, she taught me about uh, social media and influencing, and how much money you can make it. I just thought you just got likes and stuff. Right? And, uh, she's a powerhouse.
1: Well, what kind of insight can you give us? Just a little drip on that. What did you learn about influencing on social media from your future daughter-in-law?
0: Well, what I learned was is a you have to meet, treat, treat it like a job if you want to be an influencer. Yes. which means you have to have consistent posting. You always stay center lane unless you want to be a controversial poster. You don't ever do politics, religion, you know, stuff like that. You stay center lane. And she she, uh, she just would post stuff. And and um, and the other thing I found that, that I've turned a lot of influencers on that she taught me that I've met people that have 20 or 30,000 followers is you got to get an agent. Oh, really? I didn't even know there were agents for that. Oh, yeah. Her agent. You go to their place in Brooklyn, there's not a single day that doesn't go. If you showed up there that there's not just stats of Amazon stuff, and her agent is always, you know, pitching and getting, and they send products, and then what she does is she'll pick, and then she'll end up getting some job like, you know, I like your Roku TVs. You know, way I'm going to watch my Roku TV, and they pay her 20 grand or some stupid number, you know?
1: By the way, you're watching this program and I got a lot of people watching live. I just pulled up Rudy Dean Akers at Wilhelmina. Is that that son number four? That's five. Okay. Oh my goodness. Is that a handsome young man?
0: Oh, he, if I showed you the picture, I did one because he's my namesake. I did a picture. It's a comedy picture. I have a picture of he and I standing together with my shirt off. And if you see his abs...
1: I'm looking at his abs right now on Pinterest just for everyone to be very clear. Um, Yeah. um, Wow. But I also, yeah. Yeah. And I know good abs because I'm married to a top bodybuilder
0: who, by the way. Yeah. No, your husband, your husband is a stud.
1: Yeah, I know. I'm all, I'm all about studs. I will tell you, by the way, some fun things that happened to him and you know, it's funny, we should do that in writing a note. He just played Arnold Schwarzenegger's body in the upcoming State Farm commercial for Super Bowl. They're gonna, yeah. I know, right? It's like, all right, I know it's not quite the, the, the pinnacle, but, you know, meeting Arnold's, you know, anyway, it's kind of exciting. But, yeah, good for you. That's congr- congratulations. So uh, I'm not sure. We'll have to figure out about the, the daughter thing, but you should still see McKenna at 5'9", with long blonde hair and quite the attitude and the owner of a company.
0: She's oh, just all geez, excited honey. about Yeah, she'd probably like to meet David. They'd probably be game on together.
1: (laughs) Kind of interesting because her idea of a long-term commitment is lunch. And yeah, so there you go. (laughs) You guys may have witnessed all my audiences laughing because they all know McKenna right now. And it's pretty funny.
0: Well, I'm going to come meet McKenna. I'm going to come meet McKenna because last time I saw McKenna, she was about knee-high to a grasshopper. So,
1: Dean, I will tell you the most organized here's what I'm looking forward. She's got a book coming out. Maybe we'll have you guys do a little something in it called every company needs a kid. The philosophy of how to stay young in companies. And when you talked about being a two year old, you guys would get along famously. And I will tell you, uh, I come from being the actor, the spontaneous, the front person. I'm great on stage, but running a company. And I think that's why I reached out to you repeatedly, not my deal. I don't want to do payrolls and taxes and, and technical and scheduling and she has got it buttoned up. And when you realize that this girl is doing massive P&L and spreadsheets and payrolls, she's got 18 people working for her around the globe. And you're like, how old? No college degree? Really? So my goal for her, and you'll be an excellent influence, is to let the world know that this is a possibility. And as a woman, wildly unique, self-made, did this all, and she can go toe-to-toe. She doesn't need me to do this. All I did was open the door and say, look- help promote what I'm doing, but she did it all on her own.
0: Well, here's my offer to you Forbes, that my passion is young people helping them. And I have a CEO physical, which I'll be happy to send you. And if you're in here, your listeners want to get it. It's a five page deal where what they do is they answer the questions. If they don't know, I have them write DK, don't guess. And what it's designed to do, and the reason I use it, I developed it when I bought my first company and it was broke and I thought I was a smart guy and I had to learn all aspects of business really fast. But what I've developed out of it is it shows you your blind spots. And what kills you is never what you don't know. It's what you don't know you don't know. And yes. so what I give, give CEOs is physical, and they go through and answer the questions like my favorite question that 99.999% of the people fail is what's the definition of working capital? Okay. That's it. And they all go cash or whatever. And they what don't mean? know. It's the difference between current assets and current liabilities on a balance sheet. And then I ask them, what's a the current liability? And they don't even know what that means. And when I teach them that, it makes them a stronger business person allows them to learn how to lever their companies, never get in trouble, You know do all the fun things to hyper grow a company well i'm excited to have that conversation i gotta
1: grab her in between heading off with her dad to new orleans tomorrow and belize but i would love to connect the two of you i think uh, just your sensibility the whole way you you put all this together what did your dad do for a living
0: my dad was uh, a sales guy and stuff yeah he was he was you know he was a leader um, you know, I, I learned a lot from him. He's one of the five smartest men I knew. He was not necessarily the five grounded men I knew. I mean, he had a drinking problem. He had every kind of problem in the world. But uh, I, you know, he he was definitely a different individual. But he was he could read a book a day. I mean, he was infinitely smart. But what he taught me, the biggest thing he taught me, was always treat everyone as though they're your king. Whether it's the doorman at a hotel or a waiter or waitress (laughs) or uh, uh, anybody, treat them with the highest level of compassion, dignity. And I can tell you, I did that one time at an airport and, and we were, we were going overseas and I was yucking it up with the gate attendant, you know, the lady doing our checking in our bags and stuff. It was just really kind to her. And she goes, Thank you for making my day. I go, no problem. Thank you for making my day. I went to get on the airplane. I sat down in my seat with my wife and the flight attendant walked up and she goes, are you Mr. Akers? And I go, yes. We need to take care of you. I go, what? And she goes, we've got you booked first class all the way on the trip and I'm going to move you up to first class now. I go, "How did I didn't buy first class. What happened? You were kind today. And we're going to be kind to you. So I did round trip first class on freaking Delta overseas.
1: Oh, I just got chills, my friend. Oh, my goodness.
0: You can't well, make this up, Forbes. You can't make it up.
1: No, it's precious. It's priceless. And But you're going to appreciate Mechanica. She'll tell you how she got first class from Greece doing the exact same thing. But I'm, her I'm, brother I'm, didn't.
0: <laughs>
1: because she, I'm
0: looking forward to meeting her.
1: Oh my God, you guys are gonna be like little peas in a pot. I can't, I'll just be a little fly on the wall. All right, so you're looking at this whole new generation. Um, I run a company, a lot of the people listening run companies. They're not as big as the $100 million CEO companies that you're talking about. What should we be thinking about as company
0: owners? Uh, you need to think about uh, scaling your business unless you just like to buy a job. And what you wanna do if you're in small business, build a model. <clears throat> And I built a model years ago and the model has assumptions in it. It's not a business plan. And it's funny because when you build the model, you start seeing the profitability by so- subtle tweaks and it's never cost control. And, um, and so I'd be happy to give any of your viewers the model and they can use it or whatever.
1: Well, I'm, ha- I'm going to say, yes, I'm interested because I'm not quite sure I understand what that means. What scalability in terms of, because our company hit X, Better than the last two years, but we're literally doing our planning for next year. And I'm sitting here scratching my head going, how do we figure out what that next year is going to be or could be?
0: Well, your first thing I would tell all your listeners is, is take a piece of paper out and write, draw three circles. Okay. And the first circle, you want to put your existing sales. So if you did 5 million or 3 million, write 3 million in circle one, mm-hmm. then ask your daughter or whoever. How many sales did we quote where they said, "No, nah, i I hear you, but I'm not going to spend or it's too expensive." Whatever the reason is, you actually quoted them what the deal was, and they said no. Okay. And you put that under the your sales. So let's just assume it's four million. So that's eight million. Then you ask your daughter. You say, "If we had a hundred percent market share in what we do, what would our sales be?" And nowadays with the internet, you can do research and find that down cold. So let's say in your space it's probably a billion dollars or something. Yeah, that's
1: what I'm thinking. It's about people who want coaching and want to up level their business careers. Yeah,
0: about a billion. Yeah. Okay. So then then you subtract your sales and your lost sales from circle three. Okay, so now circle I feel like crap. Two. Yeah. <laughs>
1: so uh-huh. I lost about $897 million so far.
0: That's not a good year. No, but what what it says is is you only lost it for one reason, which was why. That's a great question. We weren't out there. No, it's it's because they don't even know who the hell you are. Right. They didn't even call you and say Forbes, I like you, but I ain't buying from you. Remember when I was selling construction equipment, I wanted every customer to do this too. Right. So what what your daughter and I'll do is we'll construct this thing I call the PV list. And today, I know we don't have time, but I'll show your daughter where you put your targeted customers. And here's another mathematical thing that I developed back when I was that young kid at Mo Cal. I want to have three relationships in every potential customer, seven out of 10 relationship or better. And I don't care if it's a guard. I mean, I had a guard one time take me to the CEO's office. He had been with the company 47 years. When I started getting to know the guard real well, he goes, Dean, I'll get you in here. I've been here 47 years. I've raised this guy's, his grandfather hired me and he took me in and walked me in and got me the whole deal. But at any rate, it wasn't the C, he took me into the CEO and basically told this young CEO he's buying from me. That's (laughs) funny. You've got great stories. Three deep, seven or better. When my ninjas come back and they say, I've been calling on this account and I know three people now, I don't care who they are. They have to be decision makers seven or better, which means, you know, their wife's name, their birth dates, you know, all this data about them. I, in my career, career have never not gotten a client. And this includes my companies. When I was a highway contractor, we were the fastest growing company in the state of Florida one year. And all I did was teach my team to lose sales. We went out, I raised all the prices. We were so high. It was stupid. But when we had relationships, the customers would go, when can you start?
1: <laughs> I think it's a unique thing. You know, many of my customers in the world of coaching, and I can see, you know, my. I guess my question now is, so where do you hunt to find what your ideal customer, how do you decide what that is?
0: So the other part of this is you do a DNA. Let's say you're doing coaching. So okay. you do a DNA. And nowadays you can do really cool DNAs. And the DNA of a customer, say you have 50 customers or 100 customers or 1,000 customers. First, you find the average age, average, the bell curve of the age. Then you find their sex. You know, are they male, female? Then you find what you're coaching them for. Are you coaching businesses that are 50 million? Are you coaching? So you build a profile of what your average customer looks like. Mm -hmm. Once you build that profile of what your average customer looks like, now you just start fishing in that pond. I'll give you no, no,
1: Hang on a second. So we, in our particular case, we know our average customer. What if we want to be going in a different direction to have, because that's what we have been doing, that's what we have been attracting. When you want to shift to a different type of customer because you believe they also could use your, what you do, but they have a bigger company or a bigger profile, how do you start to shift to a, a place that you don't know?
0: Well, again, if you do the three circles, right. okay? Do the three circles. This is another thing I have to do with CS. Is if you're three well, look at Ideal Image. When I first went in Ideal Image, they did a bunch of stuff, right? What I did there is I found one product that we had that fit a niche of our of a customer, and that was laser hair removal. So I got us out of everything. And we focus on being the best in laser hair removal. What most people do is they start getting distracted. And we used to have a ranch in Pasco County. And I I use the example. In fact, I actually have a graphic that I give all my ninjas or my CEOs. They're like the cows. We would drive up to our ranch and the stupid cow would have his head through the barbed wire, trying to eat grass on the other side of the fence. And they were standing knee-fricking deep in grass. They're always worried about what's on the other side of the fence. And so most entrepreneurs... If I can get them to be the best in what they love to do and do the three circles, they can have 100, 200 million dollar business because like we just said, you're a billion dollar industry or more, you're hundreds of billions probably in the consultant business Uh and if you get your niche and you build the model like I'm gonna build with your daughter, then you just go after them and you shoot them like, it's like, it should be illegal.
1: Oh, you know what? I'm so glad and so proud of you for writing handwritten notes. What a delicious family man. Um, you're also in love. We got about a couple of minutes to the end of this. What's
0: the secret to a good relationship personally? Well, yeah, my first wife divorced me. And when she divorced me, uh, she she had everything. We lived on the water, had airplanes, skyboxes, everything. And then when she divorced, she, she got half of everything. So she still came out okay. Well, what I found was I wrote a book and I dedicated it to her. And it's a relationship guide for men and men are physical and women are cerebral. And I can prove that every time. And so what happened was I wrote a book called 52 wows relationship guide for men. And I tell every man, I know what you want to do is, and I do this now you want to create a wow in your love's life. And you do this with other people, but in your wife or your lover's life and the definition of a wow is something you do for them with no agenda, once a week, that's the 52. And it's something that when they're in the bathroom or in the shower, they personally reflect and go, wow. Well, the thing is, like I'll send, I, I had one guy, he goes, oh, I don't get it. I took him straight to Walgreens, got an empty card. And I we wrote on the card, thank you, babe, for being you. And he signed his name or whatever he called, thank you, honey, or whatever. We put it in the mail, put a stamp on it and mailed it to his house. Oh, my God. That guy got home. He called me two days later. and says, oh, my God. <laughs> there isn't any guy to keep, keep up with a woman that wants to make love to them when they're in love. Oh, oh. <laughs> and, oh, so it's 52 wows. And the definition of wow, again, like when you're when you coming home, don't go to Publix. And there's no deaths on Publix. I love Publix. But go on the side of the road and pick some flowers that are just growing wild go to Dollar Tree, buy a vase, put it in, come home, put it on her nightstand and say, thanks for being you. Buckle your seatbelt.
1: <laughs> oh, I love it. We got 30 seconds at the end of my show. Dean, how do we find out more about the two couple things that you had offered? How do we stay in touch with you?
0: Just email me at dean at com, and just say, hey, Dean, I heard John Forbes. Send me the CEO physical, send me whatever And I will gladly put it in the mail or whatever. And then my books are on Amazon. So, you know, you can buy those.
1: Um, We're all going to go buy your books, Dean. We're going to have much more of a conversation. I got a whole plethora over here of thank yous of everybody listening to this live. You've been such a gentleman. McKenna's going to have her mind expanded and blown. Happy holiday to you and your beautiful family. And I'm so grateful for you. You know, I love
0: you. You know, I love you.
1: I know it. You know what, guys? You've listened to The Forbes Factor. We focus on health, wealth, and happiness. And as Dean said, what a show. Wow. All right, you guys, be well till next time. I got to run.
0: <laughs> Thank you for making The Forbes Factor an important part of your week. Be sure to join Forbes Riley again next Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you again soon.